So I hustle back. I go. I get in a suit. I drive. I go to my sister's graduation. Now she was about to be so. You know, shout out to family that puts up with us treating them so bad and forgiving us all the time. My name is Aldo Martin, and this is the Reclamation Podcast. Yeah, there was definitely early red flags, but I kind of came in, uh, I don't know if the word would be rogue, but I definitely came in unorthodox. Baptized in a few days, living in Pennsylvania, studying the Bible in Staten Island, get baptized at 3.30 at night, leave the next morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, drive to Florida yeah. for four months. I live an hour and a half from the church. No, but I'm, a, so, I'm, so, I'm already coming in off. I'm not even in anybody's category of a normal member of the church. You're, you're one of one off the rip. Yeah. Then I come back. But there was things that so like I immediately get to the to the um, to the church and uh, I, I started a job um, and it, it was it was weird. They, OK, so like uh, they wanted me to go on a date with some sisters, but I, I had just moved. I didn't have a job. This is before. Right. And then uh, I'm a pizza van. Uh, you know, I was a pizza. My parents bought a pizzeria when I was about nine years old. So I started working pizzeria ever since I was a little kid. So uh, here I am, 22 years old. 20, no, 23, and I moved to New York and I don't have a job. And my next door neighbor says to me, Hey, listen, my friend has a pizzeria in Jersey and they need a pizza guy for the weekend. You think you can work? I'm like, Yeah, I can work for you know a couple hundred bucks a day. I'll, I'll go, I'll go make pizzas. Um, but I had a date planned. So I said, Hey, listen, this is my first date ever in the church uh, in New York. I think I had one date when I was in Florida. Okay. Okay. And I said, I have to cancel the date because I got to go work and I got rebuked. Ooh, of course you did. Of course you did. Um, because how could you cancel the date and the sister? And it was at least like, and it was at least like three, four days before. It wasn't like I was canceling it the morning of or anything <clears throat> like that. So I felt that one right away. That was a red, that was a red flag for you. Uh, yeah, because I started to, to realize why do I have to argue and defend myself? It sounds like you needed to do what everybody was doing. Exactly. Like they just wanted whoever, whoever thought that's why I say immature, because there was people that were in positions to correct you that were not mature enough to, to decide which is the better choice. Understood. And then they were holding you accountable for it. So, uh, and then um, there was the time when I was a team worker for a few years. My in, sister, in, in Staten Island? In Staten Island. And my sister was graduating uh, from technical school. I had gone to a technical computer school um, and graduated. And my sister came in like a, a little s- semester before me and then she was graduating and, and I wanted to go, but there was a, a solid rock, a teen diva event. Oh, so it was a Friday. The graduation was, was Friday. on a Friday. Yeah, graduation was on a Friday. So, you know, and um, uh, the minister basically proceeded to tell me a story about how there was a huge church conference that all of the international church of Christ was going to, several years before and it was on the weekend of his brother's wedding and how he didn't go to his brother's wedding because he needed he wanted he was the right thing to do was to go to that church conference hmm. and that was the the example and the guilt trip that made me feel like it's wrong for me to go to my sister's graduation i'm supposed to go to solid rock which solid rock is an every friday event not a <laughs> Right. Um, so I tried to speak up, but like I didn't. And then that's where you're young and you're, you're, you're struggling with fear and, and, and the doctrine makes you feel like you can't argue with the leaders. And, 
and you don't stand up for yourself. So what happened was, is uh, I had some other teen workers that were there and three of the teens, they just went AWOL. They just didn't show up out of like nine, three out of nine just didn't show up. And, you know, they've done stuff like that before. Um, and I knew like, okay, they wanted to just go do whatever they want to go ahead and do. So my friend uh, uh, says to me, well, listen, man, go to your sister's graduation. You can still make it. The teens didn't show up. We have enough rides. We can go, we can do it. So I hustle back. I go, I get in a suit. I drive, I go to my sister's graduation. Now she was about to be so, you know, shout out to family that puts up with us treating them so bad and forgiving us all the time because my sister was hurt. I was like, not going to go to her graduation, but I did. Mm. I did make it. Mm. Well, uh, a, a few weeks later, they had a big meeting of all the teen leaders, workers. And at that time, the person in Staten Island was overseeing the teen ministry. And uh, so everybody from Long Island, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island all came to Staten Island for this meeting. Uh, and in the middle of the meeting, I got put on the hot seat because I, you know, and then the minister proceeds to say, you know, Hey, I heard that you left, you know, uh, the teens didn't show up and you left and you went to your sister's graduation. And then he tried to tell me like, Oh, you didn't go look for them. And I'm like, look, this is before cell, everybody had cell phones. And I know these guys, they're not home because one of the teens that didn't show up, we all met at his house. So, so I, I like, but um, he rebuked me in front of fifteen people, um, and and fifteen men, and said that I was a shepherd that only cared for himself. Look at scripture in Ezekiel thirty six, mm. and I was hurt, and I was upset, mm. and I didn't have what it takes to just you know tell him where to stick it in front of all those people. Yeah, but I went home, and uh, I didn't want to talk to the guy, man. So then he called me that night. I didn't answer my phone. He called me the next day. I didn't answer my phone. And then like my roommate was like, hey, man, you know, Mr. is calling you. I'm like, I don't want to talk to him. And then, you know, then we ended up having a talk. And I don't even know how he, if he apologized exactly. But I was just like, you know, I, I spent every single hour of my, I used to get off work at four o'clock. And I would spend from 4.15 to nine o'clock. Monday to Friday, and then half my day on Saturday till I went on a date with these teens, and then pretty much all day Sunday. And I'm like, and you have the audacity to say that I'm a shepherd that only cares about myself because I want to go to my sister's graduation. So that was one that I, I never forgot to this day. I, I want to ask you something, Nick. As as a person who got into the um, different levels of leadership, and one of the things we had to do was imitate the people that led us. Was, was that something that you perpetrated onto other people as well as a leader? Not, not, not exactly that, but, but things that were similar. No, I think um, obviously dress presentable, but not like you don't have to be a carbon copy of anybody. Uh, I think the imitation part was more like, this is how you lead a Bible discussion, like a Bible talk, or this is how you preach a sermon, or this is how you preach communion. Uh, oh, community. no, no. I meant, I meant, was there, because that leader telling you not to go to your sister's uh, uh, graduation, clearly that was, that was immature, right? On his right. part, like a very immature, uh, in, in immature judgment that yeah. he cast upon you. What I'm asking is, 
Were there also instances where you cast immature judgment upon the people that you were leading from time to time? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I guess what you, what you were saying, I misunderstood you. Um, yes, like I absolutely made mistakes yeah. um, and hurt people. And I tried very hard to, for, to ask people for forgiveness. Um, you know, uh, when the letter came out, before the letter came out, like, yeah, I, I, I've made a lot of mistakes and regrets, but I've, uh, yeah. I've tried to repair those relationships. Yeah. I know. I, I get it because as you know, we've spoken with leaders on this program before and, and I think it's important for us to say these things too, because as us regular members, we were under certain pressure. Uh, the people that were in the ministry were in a totally different pressure and were got in trouble, quote unquote, uh, rebuked for, uh, for other charges <laughs> for lack of a better term. I want to I want to I want to move on a little bit. There was something that you said um in terms of this this imitation thing. In one of our conversations, you said you were at a conference and there was a guy speaking at the conference and I, he was he was from somewhere in Eastern Asia, right? That's where he was from. However, he was speaking at this conference in in uh, Massachusetts. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the garden Okay, at the Boston Garden, and and you notice that there was something interesting about when this guy was when this guy was speaking. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I I wasn't even in the ministry at the time. I was still a team worker. I don't even know if it was a Staten Island team worker or if it was the time that I was in Jersey. Um, But I think it was probably ninety seven ish when I was still in Staten Island. We went up to the, the Garden. So I don't know, but it was like 97, where, where the Celtics play. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we were, there was a huge conference, you know, everyone was there. We took a bus, it was like a six hour bus ride. You know, we yeah. went there and uh, the guy was speaking and he was, um, Oh, wait, wait, this is 98. Yeah. Okay. See, we're Summer there. 98. I was there. I was there. See, I know I bumped into you. Okay. <laughs> I, I did not, I did not, I did not knock your drink, man. I don't know why you keep blaming me for that drink, man. That was not me. It was hot. It was slushy. <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> No, so the guy was, uh, I can't remember if he was from, like, China or he was from India, but he was a native of that, you know, and they were making big deals back then about raising up native leaders. So, like, because they always sent mission teams to different countries. Yeah. When they raised up a national leader, I think was the phrase they were using at the time. Right. So, so to kind, to kind of underline your point before you move on, so it's like we would always establish churches in different countries, and let's say we would go to uh, Ghana. Right. And and then the leader in, from the from the Ghanaian church would be an American guy. Right. But but then the church at some point wanted to pride themselves on raising up a leader who was from that country. Right. Go on. So that guy was a, a national leader from that country. And he got up to speak at the Boston Garden and he sounded like a carbon copy. And I, I looked at my carbon copy of what of kip he sounded just like kip he just said awesome i'm fired up we're cranking it every catchphrase but he even said it with the roll in his tongue that like it's not for it's not like he said it with the accent when he said those words with the 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 inflection the inflection everything i looked at my friend said i don't understand how can a guy born and raised in china sound like a white guy from the Midwest. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. That, and, 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 and that's when I knew like, okay, something's wrong. You know, we just like the rest of us, man, we put up with these things and slowly, but surely, slowly, but surely some people recognize these things sooner and act on these things sooner. And then some of us recognize these things, but it takes us a little longer, right? To, 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 to act on these things. What was the breaking point for you? What, what made you finally say, I've had enough? Well, I think to get there, I have to say like, the issue uh, always was is um, the way that doctrine was taught to me um, and the way that, that I believed it wholeheartedly, I kind of felt like, well, where else am I going to go? Because, you know, like death is on the line. Your soul is on the line. Eternal, you know, your eternal destination, you know, it's either hell or heaven. So, it, so like, I couldn't just, where am I going to get up and go? Like, where am I going to go? So you always kind of felt like, all right, I just want to make it better. But you also felt like the problem was, and I don't even know how much I realized it till later on. It was when I stepped out of the ministry that I got the courage to be like, hell no. Like, I didn't use those words because, uh, you know, but I used, I was like, no, I won't do that. Even, you know, like when I stepped out of the ministry, I was like, I need to step out. My eyes are going bad. And it was like, hey, can you do us a favor? Can you stay on another three months? And I was like, nah, I need to do it right now. Like, I'm out. Like, I, like I got the courage to finally speak up. But before then, uh, I just felt like, well, I would be like, God is putting me here and I have to, I have to suffer. I have to take what I'm getting because I'm supposed to respect my leaders and obey my leaders. And, and uh, you know, it was viewed as being divisive. You walk away. You walk away in 2020. Was was that an easy decision for you? No, it was extremely difficult for several reasons. Um, one, I, I'm married. I have two kids. My wife is part of the church. I didn't know how that was going to affect her. I didn't know that was going to um, affect maybe our marriage. Um, I also didn't know if I was making the right call because as I was, the final piece for me in deconstructing was this concept of um, salvation like baptism so that was the one for me that i was trying to break out of that thinking from inside the box like i was still trying to figure out from inside the bible from looking at it this way is there any reason why this isn't right this doesn't make sense and when i finally did i was still scared like what if i make the wrong choice there's big consequences here um but it just, it, it wasn't lining up with what I was learning about who God was and learning about the text and the story that I see and the way Jesus even interacted with people in the, in the, in the gospels. So when I finally was able to talk to somebody that was mature and, and, and share, Hey, look, I'm looking at this passage and that passage. And I remember he just said to me, that makes perfect sense to me. Somebody I truly respected, um, uh, I knew like, okay, now I can have the confidence to say, because that I was taught to need validation from someone else. Like I was, we were never taught to ask the question, Hey, does this make sense to me? You know, when we spoke with Steve Johnson, he said that use the term infantilize people. Yeah. 
Is that uh, along the same lines, what you're describing? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, your feelings were that they were bad. Like, oh, you can't trust your feelings. So what the Bible says. But it's like, well, no, like my feelings are telling me that this stuff doesn't match up. And once I finally realized, like, oh, I can ask the question, does this make sense? I said, no, this doesn't make sense. So then we go back to that question is, well, what's God like? You know, the, 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 not just the church, church of Christ, but even in a lot of uh, fundamental Christianity, we were taught that God is legalistic and petty and yeah. nitpicky and vindictive and the ends justify the means. Right. So, um, well then if I, if I'm following God, well, then guess what? That actually allows me to be petty and nitpicky. Indeed it does. And, and, and then I can justify hurting people or being legalistic or not forgiving people in the name of, well, I'm right. So, um, you know, with forgetting where I was actually was going, I, I was watching a debate with someone, not from our church, but a very similar kind of doctrine. And they were talking about different ways to look at the Bible. And the guy that's from our type of, I say our, but the ICOC kind of type of mindset was looking at that passage in <clears throat> Acts 5, where uh, Ananias and Sapphira, like they hold back money from the church and then like they, they both die. Right. And the one guy was kind of saying like, all right, well, I mean, I don't know, like they died, who knows, maybe they had a heart condition, maybe they, maybe they had a stroke, maybe they had, you know, maybe they had a heart attack. And, and, and the guy was like, no, God killed Ananias and Sapphira. His whole view and way of thinking, like I literally saw veins coming out this guy's mm -hmm. like neck. Um, he needed it. His whole justification for how he teaches about heaven and hell and God and forgiveness of sins, it's dependent mm. on God being the kind of God that killed Ananias and Sapphira rather than anything else, any other kind of explanation. It was that important. I remember watching and going, wow, like, how can it be that important to someone for God to kill people? Like, for me, it's like, it's more important for me to be like, no, God loves you. God forgives people. God you know, God gives us grace. He loves you for who you are. But like, I saw this and I realized that's exactly the way that we taught it. Mm. And we lived with that in our mind. And I was talking to someone today and I said, and who, who has left the church and he's listened to so many different things and he still struggles. I said, well, the way it gets represented, right, is Jesus is perfect and you could never achieve him. And then, right, we teach Paul basically being, we, we basically say Paul was basically the next most righteous person that ever lived besides Jesus. We don't really look at the fact that he, you know, was breathing murderous threats and, you know, he had a temper and, and all this stuff. So we make him to be almost perfect. So now Jesus is unattainable and Paul is unattainable. But then the guy preaching, when he preaches, he always preaches like he has it together. Hmm. And whatever sins he does confess, whether it's I got into a little argument with my wife or I said something to my kid, his sins always seem to be resolved and they're never as bad as your sins. Never. They're they're good, they're cool. They're cool they're sins. They're cool sins. So they got Jesus, you're unattainable, Paul unattainable, preacher unattainable. So the problem must be you. You're mm. never gonna be good enough. So you're always starting from behind, and that's why, like. 
you can never accept yourself for who you are and you can never feel like God loves you for who you are. And I kind of forget the final point that I kind of hit my friend with today as I was, I was sharing with him. But I was like, no wonder why. Like you have to retrain your brain hmm. with better truth, with new truth, with maybe true, truer truth because it doesn't make any sense. But that's what, that's what we were indoctrinated into. And it's not just the ICOC thing. It's a Western Christianity thing. And that is the recipe for control and abuse. The last question I want to leave you with is, what, what made you want to come on the program and share your story? You've heard the stories of others. You've heard other people say or other people talk. What, what made you want to come on and, uh, and, uh, and want to share your story? I think when I heard the podcast, I felt connected. You know, like you said, like we live parallel universes. I lived, I lived it, and and it reminded me. And I knew it was, I knew it was positive, even though it sounds like it might be negative. I knew it was um, therapeutic, and I shared it with my friends. And it was therapeutic to just hear other people's stories. And I wanted to also, like, I have friends that, or I have a ton of friends. I love the church, gave me lifelong friends. I have friends that are in the church and a lot of friends that are not in the church. Um, and I wouldn't have met you even if it wasn't for the, this church. There's, there's a lot of positive that came out of this particular situation. Yeah. But I also know there's a lot of people that would want to leave, but they feel like they can't for the same reasons that I felt like I couldn't. Mm. And I had to put in a lot of work and effort to really search deep to know for sure the decision that I made. And I know there's people who can't, they won't put the work in or they can't put the work in or they, they're, they're overwhelmed by it or whatever. But there's a lot of people I talk to all the time that they complain or they have issues. They would want to leave, but they feel trapped. They feel like they can't, they can't leave. And then even people who have left. Now, I didn't even tell you this. My, you know, my whole family, well, not my parents, but my sister was a member of the church and she left. My brother was a member of the church, left and, and came back. And so oh, wow. like we had, at one point we had the whole family, you know, except for my parents and they were going to church every, every Sunday for years, you know? Um, but um, even people that have left, they left this organization the dogma, the indoctrination of how they view the Bible and how they view God has not left them. So when they think of religion or think of God, either they might even be thinking like, God, I'm not good enough. Mm. Or they might still open the Bible and all of a sudden the, the tape, the, the replay of the tapes happen and they hear these messages. Um, and I wanted to be able to just let people know that gosh, like when God made man, he said, we're very good. We're very good. We don't have to earn his love. You know, if you, if you look at Luke 15, Jesus tells, it says, Jesus told them, it was the Pharisees were looking down at Jesus for eating with quote unquote tax collectors and sinners. You were accepting them. You were spending time with them, treating them as equals. And it says that he, he told them this parable but he told them three stories, but it's one parable. 
told him the story of right the the the, the person who had the sheep, the shepherd had a hundred mm-hmm. sheep and he lost one. And what did he do? He went. The woman who had the coins and she lost one. But and in the story, a sheep cannot find itself. When they are, are lost, they're frightened and afraid and helpless, and they're at the mercy of whatever a wolf or anything. But the shepherd goes and finds them. And when he finds them, he puts them on his shoulders and he rejoices and throws a party. The sheep didn't do anything to get found. Mm. Coin, coin can't find itself. But the woman, she swept under all the cupboards and everywhere in the house to look for that. And then even the story of the lost son, uh, it looks like, oh, the son came back and repented, but he actually never got to the house. He never got to tell the dad. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you because the dad ran to him and took the shame upon himself and, and, and hugged the son and threw a party before the son ever got to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. He never even made it into town. Yeah. So God loves you already. There's nothing you can ever do to make him love you more. And I'm going to leave it there. Nick. Thank you so much for, for for giving us some of your time. And I'm sure there's a lot to say, man, but but thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for even considering me to be on the show, man. Thanks for tuning in to the Reclamation Podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard thus far. If you would like information on how to support this program, please check out the support this program link located in this episode's description. See you next time.